0: We're continuing the series looking at our identity in Christ, and today we're looking at that we are the righteousness of God. And over the last two or three weeks when I've been preparing this message, every time I prayerfully come to the subject, God has given me one sentence and one sentence only. And that sentence has been, you are righteous. Righteous. So today, I'm going to try and unpack what that means. So we're not gonna, I'm not going to focus on, not too much anyway, on how we come to become the righteousness of God, although some of that will be inevitable. And I'm not going to focus too much either on the process of our unfolding into increasing levels of righteousness as we walk with God. I'm focusing on who we are, as the righteousness of God through Christ. So I'm going to start with a definition, because that's usually a good place to start. So righteousness is about right standing. It's about being morally or ethically acceptable. It's about being right. So I want to go back in a story, right back to the beginning, and then take us through time to where we are now. So let's go back to the creation. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. So God had created this perfect world, this perfect system. And he made man and he made woman. And he gave them dominion over the world. He gave them the authority. He said, effectively, this is your kingdom, go rule it. Be fruitful, multiply in it. I'm giving you jurisdiction, this is your jurisdiction and they were made in the image of God and they spent time every evening the Bible tells us walking with God in the cool of the day it says it's the evening time so they had that communion with God they were one with God they spent time with God chatting to God being in the fullness of God's presence but then in comes that serpent again we've already heard about the serpent today and in comes that serpent and he sought to cause a problem. God had given one rule, only one rule and that rule was don't eat from the fruit of that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil don't eat from that, everything else is yours except that one thing, one rule in walks the serpent or in slides and slivers the serpent and that serpent came in with deceit, and he convinced Adam and Eve that the reason God didn't want them to eat that fruit was because it would make them better than God and give them all the knowledge that God had. Now let's just remember, that same serpent was chucked out of heaven. Why? Because he thought he was, could be better than God. So he's there passing that same lie on to man. To say, God doesn't want you to have that because he knows it will make you on the same level as him. So again, that pride of that deception crept in. But he convinced Adam and Eve. And they ate of the forbidden fruit. So what happened at that point was everything changed. Everything changed. Sin came into the world. So the perfect earth system now had sin as part of it. The first thing that Adam and Eve noticed when they'd eaten of the fruit was they noticed they were naked and the Bible tells us they were ashamed. And what did they do in response to that shame? They got a fig tree and they covered themselves. They wanted to cover their sin. They wanted to cover that thing that they'd done. They couldn't go back and undo it, but they wanted to take a course of action that was their response the change that had occurred because they'd broken God's rule. The dominion that God had given them had been given away. They'd given it away at that point. So time goes on. And then God, God then said, okay, I'm going to now give you ten rules. I gave you one rule, you couldn't follow that. And because of that, I had to kick you out of the garden for your own protection. Because if you'd then eaten of the tree of life as well, you'd have been eternally in a state of sin and God didn't want that so ten rules the ten commandments we think of them as and guess what man couldn't follow the ten commandments we kept breaking the rules we kept breaking the rules sin had crept in the devil now was there tempting, deceiving prompting people to do things that we ought not to do God then introduced the Levitican law and that law gave way for man, despite the sin, to still find his way back to God, to still be in connection with God, to still have that communion with God through rites of purification that came under the law. And those rites of purification were always linked to a blood sacrifice. So a person had to take, usually a lamb, but in some cases it was other things, but to take the livestock and as a sin offering And it would be without blemish. It would be as pure as is possible. Why was that important? Well, it took it back to as close as we could get under the earth system as it now was with sin in place. It took it back as close as we could get to Eden. It took us back as close as we could get to the perfected creation. The firstborn animal that was without blemish and without any fault So a lamb with a broken leg wasn't good enough as a sin offering. And that worked for a while. It allowed the the Jewish people to enter in to the presence of God and to continue on their journey with God with them. But there was still a separation, wasn't there? Only the priests who went through extra levels of purification could enter into the Holy of Holies, the place where God actually lived. So... The people were were blessed with having God in their midst, but they couldn't actually enter into the full presence of God because that was beyond the veil. But the Father's heart has always been to extend that. He never wanted to limit that to just the Jewish people. The Jewish people are special in God's heart. Let's be sure about that, especially today, in view of recent events. Israel will always have a special place in, in the Father's heart. But he wanted to extend the opportunity for the blessing beyond Israel out to everybody else in the world. So he had a plan, because God's always got a plan. Even when it seems like there is no plan, God's always got it covered. So he sent Jesus. Jesus agreed to come. and Jesus became the slain lamb, the, the, the pure, faultless lamb of God without fault, without sin he'd gone through temptation he'd been tried in every way that you and I are tried but he never stumbled and he never failed and he never gave in to the serpent because he knew exactly who the serpent was every time and that blood that atoning sacrifice that Jesus made it's a once sacrifice across all time for all people that's available to everybody to come back into the fullness of relationship with God. So if we look at Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This was a prophecy about Jesus. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness once and for all. Jesus gives us the way back into right standing with God. Righteousness, used in, in this verse in the Bible, comes from the Hebrew sedet, which means the right. It can be a moral right, a legal right, or a natural right. But it's about having a right. It's not only about having the right standing with God, it's about having a right to be there with God. So this righteousness that is Jesus gives us the right to be back in direct relationship with God, with Father God. If we've been given that right, what does that mean for us? What is the benefit of that right standing with God? Well, it means we can boldly approach the throne. We can approach the throne room of grace. The place where God is seated, we're allowed. There's no longer the holy place that we have to undergo all these rituals to get to. We are given the right now to get into that presence of the living God. It says in Psalm 89 that his throne is made of righteousness and justice. Isn't it interesting that that's also what Jeremiah prophesies, that it will, he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. We need to get back into that intimate relationship with God. Interestingly, the first mention of righteousness in the Bible is in Genesis 15. And it relates to Abraham. Abraham, as he was called at that time, because that was before the anointing of God came. And When the anointing of God came, his name was changed to Abraham. And Abraham believed the promises of God, it says in Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed the promises of God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there is something there about believing in God, believing on God. Abraham had been given a promise from God that with natural eyes looked like it was absolutely impossible to be fulfilled. His back was against the wall. In terms of what God had promised, if you looked naturally, you would say, there's no way. But he believed God And God counted that belief as righteousness. In Matthew, Jesus talks of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious scholars um, and teachers of the day. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because his throne is built on righteousness and justice. And the scribes and the Pharisees, for all their religious teachings, for all their religious knowing, were not righteous enough to enter into the presence of the living God. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They couldn't get into the presence of God. They weren't righteous enough. Nobody, no matter how righteous, is righteous enough. I think it's really interesting that there's a story in the New Testament, where Jesus curses a fig tree. Why did he curse that fig tree? He was on his way back from one place to another place, and he came across a fig tree that had no fruit, and he cursed it. Why? Let's go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's response to sin, fig tree, we will do what we think we need to do to get ourselves out of this mess that we've made, and we will get a fig leaf, and we will cover our sin. Religion, through the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus talked to in Matthew 5, they tried to get to heaven, they tried to get to God through good works, through doing the right thing. But it would never be enough. That religion is never enough. The fig tree, I believe, in this example, is about God saying, it's not about empty religion. Religion might bear fruit, and religion can bring people into relationship. But if it's about religion for religion's sake, the spirit of religion, it bears no fruit. That's man's response to sin. It's man trying to get back to God instead of man accepting what God has already done. It's about faith. It's not about religion. Romans 1, 16, 17 says that the righteous will live by faith. There is something about moving into the realm of the unseen, believing in the unseen, promises of God, the stuff yet to be fulfilled. That is about faith. It is about our righteousness. It is about us beginning to live out that calling to be righteous in God. Faith interweaves and is under underpins righteousness. Let's go on to 2 Corinthians 5. I'll start with the second half of... Verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, without sin, made our way back into the right standing with God. He made it so that we could, through faith in the unseen, for us who come after the first century, Through faith, we have that right standing with God through Jesus and only through Jesus. He gave us the right. He gave us the right to be children of God. We become the righteousness of God. But let's go on to Isaiah 61, verse 10. Because we don't always live this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God he's clothed me with garments of salvation he's covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels garments of salvation covered with a robe of righteousness this is God's response to sin he sent Jesus to save us and then he covers us with a new cloak, a cloak of righteousness, a robe of righteousness. It covers the sin, it covers our brokenness. When we are stood in righteousness, when we understand that we are made righteous through Christ in God, there is no shame, there is no guilt, there is no remorse, there is no second-guessing ourselves. We try to solve things on our own. But God wants to take all of our mess. He wants to take all of our brokenness. He wants to take all of our unrighteousness. And he wants to deliver us from it. When the Father looks at us, we're covered in the blood of Jesus because we're saved and we're brought into connection and family of God. And that means that he sees us through the blood of His Son, He sees us through the sacrifice of His Son, and He goes do-eyed because He understands what that meant for Jesus. He sees the love, He sees the sacrifice, He sees the offering. He's clothed us in righteousness so that we can walk in the garden with Him again, like we could in Eden, like. Adam and Eve could in the Garden of Eden. He wants us to be able to spend time with him, that we are covered with his blood and we're made righteous through him. And I believe it's time to learn to walk out that righteousness as the people of God. The church in the Bible is often talked about in the New Testament as the ecclesia, sometimes said differently depending where you're from. But that the Ecclesia is not a church who gather together on a Sunday and worship God. The Ecclesia is about taking dominion and taking control and taking authority. There is a new mantle coming which is about the dominion of God and moving out into the world with the authority of God to tell the truth about how things are and what God's plan is. It is time, church, that we understand our righteousness in God because when we understand our righteousness in God, that righteousness can flow from us out into the world. It's the foundation of his throne. That righteousness needs to flow from us so that we can be the ecclesia, we can be the ruling body of his church in this land that can take back this land for the kingdom of light The devil has had hold of this for way, way, way too long. Time to learn to walk out that righteousness. I am righteous because he has made me righteous. You are righteous because he has made you righteous. Let's understand that and move into it. In Jesus' name, amen.